Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Greetings, listeners, and welcome, weary travelers, to a new and horrifying episode of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. We are deep into the autumn season now and just on the cusp of winter. And in my mind, you're all enjoying this foggy morning, sitting by the fire in your oversized sweaters, sipping hot cider, and preparing a rustic meal made from farm-fresh ingredients that you grew yourself. You've just made love to a large, muscled, dim-witted lumberjack who just dropped off a truckload of wood to your historic manor on the moor, and you've given him a kiss on the cheek and a pat on the ass, as if to playfully chase him off your property. He really can't get enough of you, can he? (laughs) And in my mind, you're hungover, sitting in your Hyundai accent, chugging Starbucks, stuck in traffic, and wondering why your life is like this. Just as you deserve. (laughs) Wow, that's brutal. That is not what I had in mind, but regardless, wherever you are, we welcome you to our haunted hearth, house, and home for this special episode. Ooh, (laughs) Jack is on something tonight. Always such a pleasure. Coming off of our season four recap, part one, and looking forward to part two, we have some interim topics that we can touch on that are very exciting. That are coming into light as we approach the end of this year and launching into 2022. I think one of the highlights being the Dragula Season 4 tours. Yes, very exciting. That has now been announced. So we have announced our UK dates and now our US dates as well. Yeah, there are so many stops in the UK, some of which we have visited before. And I always look forward to the UK stops because their energy there and their love of all things dark and Dragula is unparalleled. But there are going to be some new dates too. And we're going to be in Edinburgh for the first time, even though we've been there to visit the castle because Drac and I love Scotland. It's probably one of the highlights of our time in the UK. We've never really performed in Edinburgh before. So we'll be going back to Glasgow for all their punk rock energy, Newcastle, Liverpool, which are both new stops, right? We've not been there before. But the exciting part now is that we've just announced the 20 city North American tour. That's right. Girl. It's going to be great. I can't wait, actually. This is why a lot of the cast came on the show and competed, and they were so excited when they heard that we were doing a world tour and bringing some of them on the tour. 
that I'm glad that it's finally here. Yeah, so the tour will feature, of course, the two of us and the most powerful monsters of the season which is something I think everyone can look forward to. And I think some of these stops are actually Canadian, too. I think Vancouver's on the list. Toronto's oh, on, Yeah, Toronto's on the list. I mean, that has changed a few times in different iterations of the stop list, but I really hope so because we have a lot of fans in Canada as well as some monsters that auditioned for the show and have been on the show because Yavska, as we know, is also from Canada. That's right. I hope that we can bring as many of them as we can and maybe switch it up and bring some competitors to some stops and some to others. I'd love to be able to give everybody from season four a little bit of love. It's not up to us ultimately, but that is what I am pushing for. No, me too. And I think it would be kind of an easy, natural thing to do too, because if we're going to be reaching all four corners of the country, I think the cast has spread all across the nation. So if we're in the Northeast, we can bring on some monsters from the Northeast. If we're in the Southeast, the monsters that call the Southeast home could easily jump on tour. And I'd love to give them... How did you come up with that? It's, you know, it's a natural thing. I don't have to try. I know you Hmm. do. And it hurts you sometimes. And I can see that when you try to think, but I'm here for you. Tell us more about some things that you figured out. Like if we go to the North, we bring people from the North. If we go from the South... You're really listening. The West? I don't know. This you really, is hard. You really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it would be fun and a great way to share the stage with a lot more of the cast members than just the ones that made it to the top. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very fun tour, and you can get tickets at DragulaLive.com, and I think that's for both US and UK, right? Yeah, I think that's correct. DragulaLive.com. That's right. I think it's time we welcome our co-host and co-producer to the podcast, Ian DeVogler. Ian, darling, welcome to the show. Hi. She's our very own <laughs> baby new year. Welcome, Ian. I got to tell you guys, when you were talking about how you were envisioning the listeners at home preparing for their holiday experience, I was like, oh my God, this is me. There was a hot, hunky lumberjack, but then his wife chased me out. I mean, he can't get enough. And now here I am in my <laughs> Hyundai accent, hungover. I wanted to give everybody a little winter fantasy, you know? Did, did you just try to subtly correct my pronunciation? Uh, okay. One time I was watching this video of this Hyundai advertisement, but it was in the UK. So the woman said it and she was like, it's the brand new Hyundai. And I was like, is that how it is the whole time? So anyway, that's how I pronounce it. Well, that's how I'm going to pronounce it too, because that sounds so much more fabulous. Than Hyundai. The Hyundai accent. Well, you have to pick a different car because it wasn't intended to be (laughs) fabulous, okay? It's your 1983 Ford Festiva. Oh, yes. 250,000 miles and still kicking. Oh, yeah. The back window is just cellophane Mm -hmm. with duct tape. Yeah. The ashtray is still right there between the two seats in the console filled to the brim with like with like Newports. Yeah. <gasps> Hot. I'm going to go one step further. I lost the keys and as a screwdriver in the ignition, mama. We're rolling on a donut on the back right. <laughs> mama, she brought donuts? Damn. <laughs> yeah. And the dog has dug a huge hole in the back seat where it burrows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn. I got to have somewhere for the boys to put their bellies when they ride. <laughs> oh my God. I don't think the guys you date could fit in a Ford Festiva, but who knows? They try. <laughs> so listen, I was online and I found a tidbit, a gem of information. And I actually could not believe it while I was reading it. Okay. It has to do with episode six, Extermination of J. Jolie. Okay. And what a loss, I think, to the cast. And yeah, Jade truly. had such a great run. And I think... I'm just really happy for everything that Jade got on being on the show and everything that we got as the producers, but also as viewers of Jade being part of the cast of Dragula season four. But someone like dug in the crates and dug up the tea about her track record. 
And Jade's track record is four safe placements. Okay. A low placement. Then an elimination on episode six. And it being a hair challenge. And that is exactly the same track record that Jade had on season five (gasps) of Drag Race. Shut. Four safe placements, one low, eliminated on a hair challenge on episode six. Okay, viewers at home cannot see how big my eyebrows are, but they are like Peach's Christ eyebrows all the way to the back. I did not believe him when he was telling. I was like, there's no way that that's true. Yeah, so I like dug in. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to look through this shit. Is that real? And it's true. Wow. Oh, my God. That is crazy. It you know what's goes, crazier? That nobody on set bothered to look that up or tell us that. Well, why would it matter? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It seems like we did it on purpose. No, I look at it like this. Like so many things like Astrid's car accident or yeah, Zava totally. being fearful. To me, the message from the universe was clear and instant. It was like you could do air quotes just as well on two different platforms and be perceived a hundred percent different. Oh like, yeah. You know, like the way that Jade may have appeared on drag race and the way that Jade appeared on Dragula, I don't think could be more different. Night and day. And, yeah. And uh, I thought you were going to say Nightingale. I'm oh. like, <laughs> that's coming later. <laughs> and it's just crazy. I think it's profound. And if you read into how someone can be perceived by the way that they're presented, it's absolutely kind of a trick of the cameras and the editing and the production. I'm not going to say that that's what they did, but it's very different. It's like where Charlie Chaplin dunces, like walking down the street (laughs) and all this, like avoiding calamity and all this miraculous shit's happening. I'm like, how? I would never know that. How would I know that? Are we avoiding the chapel of calamity? Now, Ian, why don't you rescue us from this, our own chapel of calamity and give us updates on the world of Hollywood and horror. For tonight's current events, I have summoned stories from every corner of the horror universe, humbly bringing forth phantasms in the form of reboots, restorations, reveals, and riveting readings made manifest for your listening pleasures. To start things off, I wanted to unearth the classic horror films of yesteryear with a report from Variety that Hammer Films, the production company made famous for their countless classic takes on genre titans such as Frankenstein, The Mummy, and of course, Dracula, throughout the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, has just announced that they have teamed up with Network Distributing to form Hammer Studios Limited, with the mission of restoring the entire back catalog of Hammer Films' classic horror films for new audiences. In addition to restoring the classic films, the newly minted production company will be focusing on new developments in both the indie and mainstream horror spaces, citing their recent releases The Lodge and The Woman in Black as the type of genre films fans can look forward to in the future. That is really interesting news. You know, we talked about that when we reviewed The Lodge here on the Mm -hmm. podcast. I follow their account on Twitter, too, and their production company kind of went down and up over the past couple of decades. So it's really interesting to hear that it's coming back. And also with all these streaming services that could potentially bring them on to produce content. That's very exciting. Super exciting. A win across the board for any horror fan. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm mostly excited to see some of these classics restored because sometimes part of the difficulty of watching these classic horror films is like the quality. You'll start watching. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, the time I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife bootleg. Oh my God. <laughs> Girl, no. I mean, talk about restoration of the quality. It's like me after Halloween. I go through the winter <laughs> and then I'm like rebirth to the return of a classic. Moving on from classic restorations to modern reboots, director Ridley Scott has made the news several times in the past weeks, most recently for his brutal remarks about the state of the film industry and his own ego, but most interestingly with two reveals related to projects spawned from his work. As we learned earlier this year, a series based in the Alien universe is premiering on FX set to begin production next year in Thailand. 
While speaking with the BBC, Ridley Scott gave a bit of insight into the series, specifically that the entire series run will be limited to 8 to 10 hours, with the entire narrative taking place on Earth, without Ripley, and involving synthetic body-swapping narratives. Basically, typical Astrid Aurelia Tuesday night shenanigans. (laughs) In addition to that info, Scott also announced that a Blade Runner miniseries was also in the works. Sci-fi fans listening tonight, set your clocks and your astral calendars. The universe is expanding. I love it. I mean, I love sci-fi, and sci-fi horror is such a great, like, crossroads. I thought about you instantly when it was talking about Blade Runner, because Mm -hmm. I think you and I, we've talked a little bit about our love of, uh, like, Neuromancer and kind of, like, the classic cyberpunk fantasy world. Oh, totally. I love that shit. My God, I realized when you guys, even just talking like that for a second, I almost picked up my phone. (laughs) You pulled a Mary anytime Formelda's talking. (laughs) It's like, "Mm, this is getting boring. You know, I, you know... (laughs) Oh, damn. It can be scary when a big house or like, you know, a production house or a new network will take an older kind of respected IP and say, we're going to dig into this universe. And I'm like, oh, because yeah. it's a scary thing because they can like really tamper with something that you love. But I think after Disney Plus came out with like the Mandalorian and the quality was like so great. Now it really has kind of changed the paradigm for me. And I look forward to these kind of expansionist projects like going into the the Blade Runner world and anything alien, Mm -hmm. like I'm fully on board. Oh, 100% same. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention to all the Creatures of the Night listeners out there that as a team, the Boulets and I watched Halloween Kills while we were on hiatus. That being said, I have no other comments except, Michael, evil dies tonight. If you or someone you love watched Halloween Kills and thought, I want more of this, then Amazon has you covered, with a description of the rumored Halloween Kills extended cut slashing its way onto Prime viewer screens earlier this week. Interested listeners can check out the director's cut on December 13th. Uninterested listeners who are still going to see Halloween ends on October 14th, 2022, might take solace in a quote given by David Gordon Green recently during a podcast where he revealed that Halloween ends, quote, will not contain any of the retro joy or wittiness found in Halloween Kills also citing the Stephen King novel Christine as the main inspiration for the franchise finale. Lastly, if you are a fan of the printed word, or like me, cannot read but like to look at pretty pictures in printed form, I have two books to round things out tonight. The first is titled The Art of Goosebumps and is a compilation of all the cover art featured throughout the Goosebumps series, which for fans of the gateway horror franchise should be pretty exciting in and of itself. The second is for the culinary creeps out there, titled Horror Caviar, A24 has just released their first cookbook with recipes inspired by some of the greatest horror films both in and outside of their catalog. The photography for the cookbook is super stunning, with the cover of the book directly referencing a classic image from Takashi Miike's audition in gruesome fashion. With the holidays right around the corner, it's not too late to fool your friends into thinking that you have culture with the perfect gift for art and horror lovers alike. I might get the cookbook. I saw that. I think it's, it's kind of really sexy looking. Yeah. A24 puts out some fantastic books and merchandise. They have some really cool candles oh, on yeah. their website that oh, are like, shit. they're kind of like horror themed scents. And mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, home goods kind of <laughs> looking stuff. It's kind of horror looking, but like sophisticated. It's not like, uh, you know, dripping blood and stuff like <laughs> right. that. Like green eyeballs and right. purple cat nose. It's a little chocolate. less like a hereditary chocolate cake and a little more like, you know, your daughter's severed head on the side of the road covered in ants. It's less like <laughs> Bath and Body Works, Halloween, Goobaloo, go- mm. like, you know, whatever the hell they do. The Halloween, you heard it here first, the Halloween Goobaloo. You know what I mean? It's like all this green slime ghost, like, and it's yeah. just like, 
old apple candles that they couldn't get rid of with a new skin on it. I'm like, get out yeah, of here. And, and I've it, never been there. I'm just saying that's what I think would happen there. I will be there for the three-wick <laughs> candle sale. Mark my words. I'm intrigued about this cookbook. So does the food actually look sort of looks horrific? Gross. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah cool, they, and cool. a lot of the photography is almost like they had recreated scenes from these movies with the food in it. It's really epic, honestly. I'm going to have Millie come and make some of it with us on our YouTube channel. <gasps> oh, you heard it here first. Well, thank you, Ian, for those updates. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be diving into this episode's Creature Feature Movie Hello, uglies. You didn't think we would forget about the U.S., did you? The Boulay Brothers Dragula Season 4 U.S. Tour will be haunting you soon in the spring of 2022, featuring the top monsters from Season 4. Tickets and VIP upgrades go on sale in January, so sign up to be the first to find out all of the gory details at DragulaLive.com. Do it now or die. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome back, uglies, and welcome to this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode's review, we've chosen to watch and discuss director Jason Reitman's new film, Ghostbusters Afterlife. The film follows a single mom and her two kids who arrive in a small town only to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. So, <laughs> what does the jury think? What do you think, Drag? Yeah, Drag. Let's start with uh, you. start with me. Let's start with oh, you. Start with the judge, jury, and the executioner herself. Well, I kind of think we should talk about it in sections. But if we want to do a quick overview, I'm going to say I think that it was disappointing. As a fan of Ghostbusters, I think that this did not serve as a good sequel in any way, shape, or form because I think it sort of like disney the whole thing. It was very little kid focused. It was very that like E.T. or something. I don't know. It just felt very little kid annoying. Like I wasn't into it. The original Ghostbusters was kind of like, it was a little horny and like adult and, you know, it was a different energy. And I just, I don't know. I don't like what they did with it. I agree with you fully. It was disappointing. And I was really looking forward to this because it sort of snuck under the radar for me. That night came and I'm like, oh, let's go to the movies. And I gave it every chance it could get because we went to the Alamo Draft House, which is like my favorite Ooh, theater. A good experience. Yeah, great experience. And I've yet to see someone kicked out for being loud, but I'm just waiting for that moment because I love <laughs> them for their policy. Like you get one warning and then you get kicked out without a reason. I've never even seen someone get a warning. Oh, I yeah. love it though. I think that people are pretty respectful. It's like Alamo. adults only, you know? Well, I'm going there for the show, so. <laughs> but... <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife was definitely not adults only. It was very childish, and it disappointed me, too. I'm going to provide the counterpoint to both the Boulets here. I 
am obviously a fan of the original Ghostbusters film. However, I saw it when I was very young. I have zero emotional attachments to it. And after I saw the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife, I thought, this is clearly a movie marketed to kids. And as I was watching it, I basically just let myself realize this is a movie for kids. I am not the target demographic at all. And I really enjoyed it as a result. Really? Yeah. I thought that it did exactly what it came to do, which was create a movie for 12-year-olds and under, or the parents of those 12-year-olds. And it was like a gateway horror movie, which I have kind of a soft spot in my heart for gateway horror, even though it doesn't appeal to me because, hi, I'm an adult and I love bleak, dark shit. But the idea that there were ghosts and all these kind of things and, oh, we have this little kid who's the podcast kid. I'm like, okay, this is not for me at all, but I really enjoyed it. So you identified with the podcast kid. And 100%. That's what this is about, right? yeah. Oh, Got my God. It. Girl, the only joke that I laughed at, which I actually belly laughed, they're like, your grandfather was one of the Ghostbusters. He was a legend. You could be anything. You could be an influencer or a DJ. I was like, oh, that is fucking funny, mama. That was kind of cute. But with the character podcast specifically, I felt like the writing was kind of going for what I consider to be kind of like Steven Spielberg magic. Right. Where where everything is whimsical and it all clicks together, like very batteries not included or E.T. or even Goonies. And I'm not even sure about like one of those movies, but the writing chops were just not there for this mama. Yeah. I hate when adults write little kids. No little kid talks like that or acts like that ever. But sometimes it's okay. Like Goonies is a great example. Like no kids talk like that. They don't build contraptions to answer the front door. Not everything. Like I'm a quirky little kid. (laughs) I'm like, that's not real. But it's fun when you're on the ride. I don't know. And I would say I did think of the Goonies, but more so I thought of Steven Spielberg because I think that this film really kind of harkens back to that time, especially in the score. Like you don't really see fantasy adventure films anymore like that genre is kind of dead i mean yeah. of course they have like all the disney ones basically do that but it's like you know you have these full orchestras and it's like the grandfather's ghost moves the chess piece and there's like a whimsical chime in the background I'm like oh this is totally like steven spielbergified mm-hmm. yeah yeah I did like the character of Phoebe. I thought she was really interesting. Like, I would love to see her, like, advance a couple of years and be a teenager who then becomes a Ghostbuster so it could still stay in an adult world. Yeah, I feel like just to get to my big issue with the film is the last five minutes. You know, I feel like I can forgive a lot of things, but when they kind of brought, spoiler alert, when they bring back all the old Ghostbusters, I was like, okay, you shit the bed here. Like, right. you shouldn't have done this. And yeah. I, because I, I, for a minute, I was like, oh my gosh, so cute. We have the kids in the outfits and they're fighting ghosts and like that's what it's gonna be but then Bill Murray showed up and I was like this is pure fan service but the fans of the original aren't watching this like you know for me it's like I know that these characters exist in that universe I know Dan Aykroyd's there I know Bill Murray's there but I'm like I don't care you've now put these people in this movie for no reason to double down I think the fans of the first one that do end up watching it do not care for the way that these characters are revisiting it's it's just like it's gratuitous it's almost like you had to do it it's like just overly telegraphed and forced and weird and you're like what in the actual what am I watching I think if they're gonna do that we would want to see them old around and still fight ghosts and stuff we want it to be about them like I don't understand this whole like Let's replace them with these quirky children. I'm like, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Like, (laughs) just get their old asses out there and let them fight ghosts. It'll be funny. Like, it could be, like, a a different take on it. To circle back to the character of Phoebe, though, McKenna Grace, the actress that played Phoebe, Mm -hmm. was the strongest and most compelling character in the movie. Yeah, like, totally believable. I agree. I'm "I'm on her side, whatever she's doing. Totally. Totally. There was actually one thing that, this is off-camera secrets, when the Boulets and I were talking about this film prior to having me seen it, they were like, oh, you know, there is basically 
the character of McKenna, she kind of is like a genius, you know, and there's a scene where she just knows how to do all these things, which that scene does come up. She basically overnight has all the knowledge required to use the ghost busting equipment and all this stuff. And I realized that the movie has this really bad habit of things happening off camera, but then them explaining in one sentence where it's like, how'd you learn how to do that? Grandpa basically taught me last night. I'm like, no, 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 sweetie. Like, how did that happen? You mean it's hard to believe that a ghost could teach a 12-year-old how to create a neutron generator gun and <laughs> use it and bring it out to the field but and start shooting shit up like a marksman? In its defense, Girl. the movie makes no sense across the board. Neither could any of those things happen. Like, we find this old car. Oh, I'm going to drive this car through a cornfield. Give it a try. I don't know if you've ever tried to drive a car through a cornfield. I have. It works for like 20 feet and then your car blows up. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the car blowing up, I think that up until. Especially if it's a Ford Festiva. (laughs) (laughs) With a screwdriver in the ignition. With a donut. Or a Hyundai. (laughs) Or my Hyundai. Speaking of the car blowing up, though, I feel like there is a scene in the movie where, you know, they basically they get the ghost busting equipment and they find the trap and they release the ghost for the first time. And Paul Rudd is there with his beard and he's looking very hot and sexy. But he the blow- sexiest man alive, right? Uh, which I mean, mm, what? sexiest man alive. What? That's what they said. I know, girl. I was telling Nathan that too, and she was like, Ugh, "For you, maybe." And I was like, "Girl, that's fine. I'll watch it." I'm Drac is disgusting. I, I am disgusted and. <laughs> I don't know. He's cute. I wouldn't yeah. say the sexiest man alive. He could, you know, he could eat a few of those mini Stay Puff things. Oh and God, then, we'll get to that. Yeah. Back to the point. When the car blows up, I feel like that's the point where the movie actually gets going. And I feel like a really big problem is this movie is two hours long. The first forty-five minutes are so fucking slow. I was like, oh my God. Can you get to the point or like get to some plot or something? And that's the problem with this movie versus the original. The original was like, you got right into it. Like within, mm-hmm. I think it was in the first 10 minutes, you see Slimer in the library, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, this is There's about ghosts. ghosts. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like they should have followed that. Like no one wants to hear about this family's drama for 45 well, minutes. That was a thing. I agree. But that was a thing that I read an interview with the director and he was saying like, this is my most personal film I've ever made. Are and- you kidding me? I, I gag at that. because. Oh, yeah. Literally every single plot point is like Ghostbusters, the original fucking reimagined. How could this be personal? Well, it's also the movie Interstellar, which like, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's literally the same plot. I was like, uh, okay. And I think she lying girl. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Don't take material (laughs) that we all love and express your, we don't care about you. (laughs) Well, I think what he was trying to say, not that he did it well, but it was like, you know, if you if you dig into the movie, it's like a story about three generations of this family and this mom who is kind of like, you know, her life fucking sucks because her dad was an asshole. Cut to her dad was always there and always caring, was trying to save the world. And they have that moment at the end, which I was like, ooh, if I cared about this, I would think this is emotional. Okay, I retract my statement. In that way, <laughs> in that perspective, in that I can one see lens, it. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. I don't, and here's why. Oh. I think if you have material that's established as a big fan base, you should be a fan of the material and be interested in making that interesting. Like, you know what? It seems like egocentric or something to make it about you or your experience or your... I'm like, no, do that well, on a different movie. I don't movie. know if he's talking about his own experience, just that it was like, I mean, well, he said it was personal. I don't That's know. Just I'm trying saying. to inject some sort of feel good into it. The other thing is his dad directed the original. So I did not know that. I did not but, know that. Yeah, his dad directed the original. So I kind of thought it would have stuck a little more to that formula. I mean, that creates another thread of like this generational connection. Mm-hmm. 
I don't mind an artist taking something that's loved and imbuing it with their own experience because sometimes that can like sort of light an internal fire to say, hey, I'm passionate about this. And you can take it on surface level or you can take it on the level that I'm writing it on. Speaking of surface level, I feel like it didn't push hard enough in any direction, which ultimately makes the movie boring. And like, for example, when I finished it, I was like, oh, this movie is rated PG. And it's actually rated PG-13 for like mild suggestive references. And I'm like, if you're already going to get the PG-13 rating, just fucking do it. Like, you already have the joke about, like, oh, maybe she'll be a pole dancer. But you never push. There's never, like, a, mm-hmm. an actual sense of, like, adult nature to it. And I'm like, either A, strip all of the adult nature from it and just make it a kid's movie. Or really put those in-jokes in there. Like, kind of lean in a little bit so that it becomes fun for adults, too. Because as a result, it just becomes this kind of, like, muddy mess. There's also, like, one ghost, basically, for the first hour and a half of the movie oh, yeah. right which is ridiculous then they're like here's these demon dogs who are like demon dogs who are hunting down a human host they find them they get the human host they become demon and then dogs. turn back into a demon like why did you need a human host if you're just <laughs> going to turn right back into what you were in the first place? it just didn't make any sense the main problem for me was when i think about the ghostbusters saga In the original, we get all of the things that this movie gives us. We get Mm -hmm. Gozer the Gozerian. We get the Gatekeeper and Zool and the Keymaster. We get the the Devil Dogs. Stay Puft. And we get Stay Puft and we get the Metal Chomper, like whatever. It's like, it's basically all the same vehicles. Ghostbuster 2 gave us a different antagonist, right? Mm -hmm. We had that Vigo character who was like the big painting and he was like the bad guy. So when I went into Ghostbusters Afterlife, I was thinking, ooh, how are they going to expand the ectoplasmic world of the unseen ghosts? And yeah. I didn't expect like an almost step-by-step, play-by-play revisitation of Gozer. Now, mm-hmm. let, don't get it. Don't get it fucked up because Swanthula <laughs> loves Gozer. I mean, when yeah, I... Yeah, that's like you as a lesbian get, by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> when, when, I, I, when she showed up, oh, when I was take like... the wig off? I was like, oh, that's Swan when she takes her wig off <laughs> oh, at the end of the God, night. Oh, God, and I love her. And they updated her costume. And she was fierce, but... She looked great. She, she, she looked fantastic. Ser- she was serving, like, Victoria Elizabeth Black's Meet Our Monsters outfit with the pearl encrusted kind of thing. Yeah, kind of, but there was, like, that kind of electric pulse going yeah, through it. Yeah, that's what and, I would... And but she didn't really do anything cool. She, she didn't, didn't do, do anything new. No. I mean, they they fucked it up. But that was my problem with it. it. We didn't visit anything new. It was all the same motions that we went through in Ghostbusters the original. I'll be honest with you, and this is a very unpopular opinion. I was cool with the Ghostbusters reboot with the all female cast. Same. I thought that was great. It was funny. Like, everyone hated it, and they were so angry about it. And I was like, why? It wasn't bad. It's weird. I thought about the Ghostbusters reboot with the all-female cast earlier when I was watching the movie, and it made me feel a little bit kind of cheap or gross. I was like, oh, like, I love that they did that, but it almost, in light of Ghostbusters Afterlife, was like, did they just make this movie to kind of be like, hey, guys, remember, Ghostbusters exists. You remember this plot? Okay, okay, okay. And here's Ghostbusters Afterlife. They try to Michael Myers that and just be like, none of those other things happen. <laughs> yeah. We're picking back up with these old people, just like Halloween did. Yep. <laughs> the female team was a box office flop. Yeah. So they wanted mm. to go back and sort of like retroactively, That's re- uh, you know, correct where they went wrong. I want to talk about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and I want to talk about Gozer the Gozerian, Zool, the Gatekeeper, the Keymaster, and the power of That's like those too things much. manifesting. No, we can't do that. But here's how it goes, right? <laughs> In the original, when you're when you're con- when you conjure successfully Gozer, and she manifests, the Gatekeeper and the Keymaster come together. Mm-hmm. You get Gozer. Gozer says, "Are you a god?" Which she says exactly the fucking same. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. cheap. I hated it. But, you know, the reason that she asked that question was because she plants in your mind and you choose the form of your destroyer. 
So they're like, mm. clear your mind, clear your mind. Don't think of anything. And one of the guy goes like, oh my God. And goes or disappears. And then they're like, what did you do? Like, what did you do? And she's like, oh my God. The first thing that came to mind, it was like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And then she manifests as like a giant Stay Puft that attacks New York. Mm-hmm. So quirky, weird, and cool. Right. But when we see those Stay Puffs just coming alive, just coming like around. little baby cute things. I mean, this is where I was like, we have now gone off the trail into like little kid baby placating world. Like the movie, no they don't sense. even care about okay. the movie anymore. A hundred percent. I feel like that is, you know, just to say this, I did enjoy the movie, but I do think it is heavily flawed. And here, why again, it's like, it doesn't push in any sort of direction. It's like you have the Stay Puft minis or whatever, and it's just fan service. It's just mm-hmm. to be like, hey, you remember the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Well, we got them and we got little ones. But then they have that weird montage of them like fucking each other up and like kind of being violent. But I'm like, again, this is like little kid level violence. Like, why is this scene even here? It doesn't add anything. Like, if I get, if I was 12, I think it'd be like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so fun. But so you guys, I'm you, not. there's some highbrow stuff happening here that oh. you all didn't pick up on. Okay, okay. lay it on us. Mary Cherry knew all this in her costume in episode one. A direct commentary. It's it was an absolute commentary on how flawed this movie is. I think, and it went all it went over all of your head. And Mm -hmm. her even not talking about it right now is performance art. I she's letting it play out, and she's gonna come out and tell (laughs) (laughs) tell us all about it. You know, it, it was cool to see Sigourney Weaver. Oh, and her villain is Sigourney Beaver. Beaver, Uh You see? Oh, yep. Yard. Mm -hmm. This is like, come on. I will say you're onto something. I did not realize it was Sigourney Weaver until I looked at the credits. Really? Yeah. What What are you talking about? Look just like her. I mean, I, hello, it was. It was like, her. No, I mean, <laughs> like, what like is she didn't look like someone else? What? Well, okay, and maybe this is a good time to explain. I I did a bad thing. I watched this movie at home. I did not pay for this movie. Um, <gasps> I know, oh I know. God. I watched a bootleg of it. Oh, But it was kind of an amazing experience because it had this big sign over it that was for some sort of like online gambling thing. And every 30 minutes, it would play like a commercial for the online gambling. And it was in like 720p. <laughs> oh, so that's why you couldn't tell it <laughs> was her. Because it was a fucking commercial exactly. over her face. No, I, I literally think that I couldn't tell because it was kind of blurry. And oh like the ki- the guy who was recording it, it kept going in and out of focus. Well, now we know why you like this movie because you didn't see half of it. <laughs> he saw a totally different movie. I, I thought the Sigourney Weaver uh-huh. cameo was cool, but I actually really loved the Annie Potts cameo. Like really, her, yeah, I did. I felt like Janine was such an iconic part of the cast of the original. So when she came back in, even if it was just for one scene, it kind of brought me back to that eighties nostalgia, and I liked it. I guess I just would have liked them to utilize the characters in the film sure. instead of sidelining them to be like, you're old now, so Annie Potts just come in for a quirky little appearance. It's like, let her fight some ghosts or have be important or something. So what did you think overall, Drac, if you had to encapsulate? I would have liked it to be better. You know, I was disappointed. I, I think, like I said, the main character was interesting. The set was interesting, but it just was so far removed from the original that it just made it unlikable, I think. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I had to try to find things to enjoy about it, and Gozer was one of them. At least I have that. Um, (laughs) But I didn't have much more. I honestly tried to leave the movie three times. I'm just going to say it. That's the truth. Which is partially why I didn't want to go see it in a theater, because I didn't want to have that experience. That being said, personally, I feel like I love the effects. I kind of love McKenna Grace. I think that the story is really, really simple. But if you are someone who either A, is 12, or B, you like 
kind of family-oriented action adventures, you like E.T., you're looking for that sort of experience, I would recommend it. I didn't think it was terrible. I will not be watching it again, though. I'll tell you that. Paul Rudd is in other movies, Ian. Okay? I just wanted you to know that. God, but he's not a hot little seismologist. All right. Well, (laughs) for those of you that are interested, you can catch Ghostbusters Afterlife in theaters now. We are going to be moving on now to answering some of our listener questions. And I have to warn you, we are very behind on this. So after our hiatus, the mail really piled up. So we are going to start by answering our most recent queries first and then moving down from there. If you send in a question weeks ago, we will probably get to it on a future episode. Ian, will you do the honors? Ooh, I would be honored. Jace in New Zealand writes, This question is probably verging on too niche, but have either Drac or Swan played Vampire the Masquerade, either the video game or the tabletop? If you have, what clans would you be? The short answer is I've never played it, but I actually know a lot about it because this was like during my period of like expanding all of my knowledge on all tabletop games. So Vampire... The Masquerade was one of the ones that I read extensively about. I can say the clans that I like were the Tremere, Toreador, and Jamisi, and there's the other one, the crazy one. Oh, the Malkavians. Which one would you be? I think about that a lot. You know I'm kind of like that. I actually <laughs> I love this. I love of all the things on earth. She's like, I think about that a lot. Do you? <laughs> no, I honestly, I really, truly do. I get it, though. Like, cause What I th- am I doing wrong in my fucking life? I mean, really, the shit I have to think about all day, and you're sitting around thinking about which vampire clan no, you are? listen. Okay, I, Swan, I totally feel you, because I, too, do not play a ton of things, but I love to read about them. Like, I love just kind of like that encyclopedic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm sitting in my Hyundai accent hungover <laughs> in the morning... <laughs> I'm stuck my, in traffic. Stuck just in traffic, yeah. Having my, your Starbucks. My brain will just be like, hmm... I wonder what's happening in the World of Warcraft classic reboot right now. And I'm like, I don't fucking play it, but I know about it. That's a good question, Ian, and we're going to get to the bottom. (laughs) 100%. Over the Christmas break. Yes! (laughs) So, no, I remember at one point, I've looked at them back in the day, too, and I also never played it for some reason, but I do remember reading, isn't there like a clown mime one or something, or am I thinking of something else? Maybe I'm thinking of cyberpunk. Maybe I, there's like the no, I'm not sure. I think you might be thinking of something else. Although there's the there ones that might be like the Toreador kind of like obsessed with like beauty and performance. So maybe you're thinking that I don't know. Also, didn't Vampire the Masquerade like hasn't it expanded so much? Like there's now, I mean, like correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't there? There's now lichens and there's like other fantasy creatures like in the universe. Yeah, I think Vampire the Masquerade was the first, and then they had Werewolf. The I forget what they oh, call yeah, it. Oh yeah, Werewolf. Werewolf, and then there's also Magic, which is basically right. like different schools of Magic and Magic users. In I think all occupying the same world. Much to Drax's chagrin, I do think about which clan we might <laughs> we might hail from, and I think there's a lot of ways you can sell. Oh, I think we would be this. I think we'll be that. But I think when it comes down to it, we would be Ventru. Which All is, of us would be the same? I, I think so, because Ooh. what they are are sort of like, the way that I understand them, the blue blood and the sort of like the most traditional and very powerful vampires. Well, ding, ding, ding. Hello. Most powerful. Hello. Yeah. Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> I have wow. to tell you a really stupid story. Okay. I don't know if it'll make it on the podcast. But we have played games like this. Okay. We used to play this one game. 
for a long time. There was this whole group of people, and they were very serious about their RP. Oh, yeah. And we were very serious. And it's, you had to be, you couldn't be anything crazy because it's unbelievable. You're a Mary Sue, you know? <laughs> so anytime anyone would try to be something, they'd be like, that's Mary Sue, you can't do it. So everyone's like a peasant or a farmer or like. That sucks. You're some, well, but it was fun. I'm like, okay, God. okay, fine. That's what, that's, I get it. So then, of course, we're great at it, and then they want us to be the leaders. No, we, then, no, we, were, no we really dove into like the role play of it and, and getting into the fantasy. And yeah. this bitch was like, have the secret meeting with us. And we're like, okay, so we have to go in this like cathedral thing and have the secret meeting with Wait, us. I'm sorry. In, this in is the a RP. game. Yeah, I don't think it's in real life. Yeah. So I was holy like, shit, nah, please. excursions. <laughs> and we so we the get cathedral. there. And, and this is after a long time, okay, of having to be a farmer or something. And she's like... Well, I brought you here to tell you that I'm actually an ancient dragon. And I was like, you bitch. <laughs> you married This Sue. whole time, you've been making everybody be peasants. Like Because you were gatekeeping Sue because <gasps> you secretly wanted to be the Mary Sue. Wow. I was pissed. Well, what did you do with her? I quit. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. That's incredible because I was fully expecting there to be like a, and then we smote her or something no, in universe. I, you just left. Control alt delete. <laughs> oh my Lord. Kyla and Emily ask, our question is what was the most memorable part of your Halloween this year? I think my most memorable part of Halloween was performing at our Los Angeles Halloween ball. Because we don't always get to perform there. You know, mm -hmm. like when we're mm -hmm. there, it really sucks because we're putting so much into the party and everything behind the scenes that we can't always perform. And yeah. In fact, we don't usually perform. But this year, I was like, I don't care what happens. We're going to do not only one show, but two shows. Yes, I'm going to change 50 times. I'm going to like, you know. So we did it. I was like, it's our 20th anniversary. We have to remind everybody why we are the queens of the night. And I think we did. And so that was really special to do that and have the audience receive it as well as I did. And I particularly made sure as I was performing to emote towards the competitors from season four who we'd put up in the nice. opera box, which is such a special place to be. I mean, Absolutely. we've spoiled them because they will never get that in another club again <laughs> as long as they live. But no, like, you know, it was fun to connect with them. I yeah. kind of felt like we were almost showing them a little bit of appreciation for what they had done. And it was just a magic night. You were there. We were there with old friends. It was a good time. That was perfect. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't asked of me, but same. <laughs> Brett from Milwaukee writes, I was very excited to see that you brought back the burial extermination from season one. What inspired you to do it again? Well, it was the horror icons reimagined. So we wanted to take the opportunity to reimagine something that we loved as part of like the horror canon of the show. And universally, that was something we all agreed on, that that first extermination... Of episode one, we should revisit it now. That is our horror legend. You know, the first the first extermination, we didn't know how everything was going to turn out. And it ended up being so incredible. So, yeah, I thought it was a great one to go back to. Paul in Australia asks, Hi, I just discovered your podcast and I'm loving it. I love Dragula and subscribe to Shudder to get all the seasons. I was just wondering if they will be on Shudder in Australia. So, yeah, all of the previous seasons of the show, which I... Tell people this daily, but I'll do it again. Do it again, Drac. <laughs> All of the previous seasons of the show will be on Shudder once season four is done. So once we crown our season four winner, we're going to take a little bit of time, and then we are putting some hopefully remastered versions of the first three seasons. So finally, for the first time ever, 
the entire Dragula library will live in one space. And that will include all English-speaking territories, including Australia. Yeah. Darius writes, Do the monsters walk out to the music that we hear as the viewers? I have a Dragula floor show playlist that always puts me in the best Dragula mood. Mood. They did not always, but they did on this season. Yeah. Not everything. There was always music. Sometimes there wasn't, but most of the time there is. And um, there definitely was this season. What you see on the show is how they saw it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys have teased this online. All that music will be coming out as an OST, an original soundtrack, uh, once the season finishes. That's right. Okay, guys, this is actually a really important question. I'm dying to know, too. Carla asks, pumpkin or sweet potato pie? Pumpkin. I want to say sweet potato pie because I love that kind of like rustic old school. But it pumpkin. It it pumpkin. It pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just to cut the shit right. And I made a delicious homemade pumpkin pie one time. And I mean from the pumpkin and everything, I made it all from scratch and it was good. Damn. She make the pumpkin pie with the insides and then you take the pumpkin, you make the stew in it. I think it was the same year. I don't know what I was going through that year, but I was like... (laughs) I am the gothic Martha that, Stewart. I was going to say gothic. Gothic Martha Stewart. Gothic Martha. Oh, that's I made a we, pumpkin stew. We, we probably grew the damn thing for oh, all I know. Yeah. We had gardens and hens and that was before the show. <laughs> we had that. We, we used to make this like homemade guacamole because we had oh, the, oh, the avocado, avocado tree. tree. We grew Cilantro. everything there. Yeah. It was really good. Anyways. Isaac in Las Vegas asks, to the Blaze and Ian. Of the seven deadly sins, which would you associate yourself with and why? I mean, that's a hard question, right? Because they're all sort of negative traits. So Mm -hmm. I guess he's asking us, which of the seven deadly sins do we feel like we tussle with the most, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you could interpret it that way or you could, I don't know, if if you have like a vision of the seven deadly sins and kind of a like... Incarnate. Yeah, incarnate, like a romanticized sort of way, like, ooh, which is the deadliest? But uh, either way... I have one that I associate with you as a character. Me. Yes, you. And I don't think I'd be the only one. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? It would be wrath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, I think so. That's how I would answer it, is that that would be something that I struggle with the most. Not so much nowadays. I have a much better command of myself. But back in the day... A lot of these little Twitter kids would not be getting away with what they do. Tell you that right now. I agree. Let her out. You really have evolved. It's important to. We all struggle with different things, right? And that would be something that maybe I struggled with that I think I have a good handle on now. Yeah. And it's hard to answer this for myself. What What would you think for me? I mean, if we're just going off of kind of the character of Swanthula, I think that there have been a couple of intros that maybe, you know, would lead people to believe that Swan rules over the House of Lust sometimes. Lusty. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that for sure. She's kind of a vixen character. Yeah. You know, true to life too. Yeah. And then in real life, it's Sloth. (laughs) (laughs) We did have an amazing party though. Jack, do you remember years ago, we did the Seven Daily Sins party. Can I just say that you did an incredible job with that? You built this really... She I, built oh, wait, this, I, need, I need the full team. Okay, so there was a show, and we decided to do a Seven Deadly sins theme party. Mm-hmm. And there was a big stage show in the middle, and Swan made this really cool stage with like banners coming down for each sin. 
and everybody was like costumed out really decadently and cool. I don't know, it was just beautiful and it was like this big long stage show that happened yeah and there was like it was like multi-leveled and each sin had their own little like area to be in but we were also <sighs> in that. it so drac played wrath that time you were painted like a red devil you were like whipping people it was like Super oh bondage yeah. And everybody had their own stations. is like, yeah. why? <laughs> the gluttony girl was just like covered with all of this like money and jewels. And I was envy. Ooh. So I was head to toe green and I was the only one, surprise, I wrote this for myself, that was allowed to go into all of the other one's scenes. Oh, to go in always and be wanted envious. to be something else. Yeah, wow, so he would go into so like cute. everyone's area and kind of, it was, that was very cool. Brilliant on you your part, I will back. say. Yes. I guess for myself, I would say I'm probably guilty of maybe two of them, but like, I'm going to go with the cute one. Like there is nothing that I love more than like, I will like bolt up in bed, like clockwork 4am. I wake up and I'm like, I must feed and I'll like (laughs) run like naked to the fridge and just throw that bitch open and just feast mama (laughs) in the light. (laughs) You told us weird stories too. You're like, Nathan found me at the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Naked so eating ham. Oh, yeah. But it's also like ham is like a normal food. Like sometimes it'll be like a boiled egg or like the worst offense was I microwaved soup and ate it naked in my kitchen standing up. It was like a 20 minute thing. Like it was like fully awake by the time I was done. But you also specialize in those sort of like Chinese food that's really greasy and then you sit it oh, in the fridge and where the grease yeah. turns to like white. white. Lard, oh. and you love that. Oh, bitch! I oh my god, cold Chinese food is that is my vice, and gluttony is my sin, Mama. <laughs> so what's the second one? Probably, uh, and this one would be something that I struggled with when I was younger, but I would definitely say that I would love to get back to a little bit of, which would be sloth. Like I would love nothing more than to just be like. Bitch, I ain't doing nothing. I'm playing Destiny today. I'm reading comic books. That is not you today. No, I sure am. Not at all. I am envious of Sloth. Oh, interesting. And lastly, Christian from Brooklyn, New York writes, When you're experiencing a horror movie for the first time, do you prefer to really engage with it in a quiet environment, or do you enjoy watching it with friends at home where you can all comment and joke together? I don't do the friends at home joke together thing. Like I'm very serious about a movie, whether it be like a horror movie, even a comedy, like any kind of movie. Like, and I can't miss one second of it. Like I'm like one of those neurotic people that I'm like, mm, we have to get there. Like I, I, I don't, I don't want to miss one beat of the film. So I like always in a quiet environment where I can really like soak up what the film was about. I will agree with that. I cannot stand when people talk and you know this, mm-hmm, like when, mm-hmm. when people talk in a movie theater and it happens, so often nowadays. I don't know what it is, but people think that when you sit down to watch a movie now, oh, it's, it's a time to fest. talk. And I'm like, it's not time to talk. Mm-hmm. That's why we love the Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, that's all the time we have for listener questions this time around. As always, if you have any questions for us, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. And now it's time to change the mood a little and bring the lights down as we prepare for this episode's Haunting of History. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, 
allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for the young blood inside your home. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Signed, The Watcher. These were the words that Derek Broaddus read from a handwritten note addressed to his family at their new home in Westfield, New Jersey in June 2014. After finishing a painting he had been working on alone in the house, Derek Broaddus went out to check the mail to find a thick envelope with large black letters written on the front. Assuming that the letter was from a friendly neighbor wishing the family well in their new endeavor, Mr. Broaddus continued to read the correspondence in the light of the porch the summer air swirling around him, and the sound of crickets underscoring the quiet, serene state of the reportedly safe neighborhood he and his wife had decided to relocate their growing family to. The Broaddus family, consisting of Derek and Maria, plus their three children, would experience a series of events so frightening that it would lead to the growth of a new urban legend known as the Haunting of 657 Boulevard, or The Watcher House. After receiving this first letter, Derek Broaddus immediately went to the police in search of answers as to who could have sent this ominous message to his family and what their ultimate goals could be. Unfortunately for the Broaddus family, the police wrote this first letter off as a practical joke, only agreeing to an investigation after a second, more threatening letter arrived two weeks later. This time, days prior to the Broaddus family officially moving into the home, with details and information that would only be known to someone who had spent considerable time watching the family from both the outside and interior of the home's walls. In the second letter, the Watcher addressed the Broadduses directly, listing the names of Derek and Maria, as well as correctly identifying their children by birth order and the nicknames the Broadduses referred to them by in the privacy of their own home. The Watcher included details about the layout of the house, with probing questions about one child in particular, who the Watcher had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch, asking, Is she the artist in the family? It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Will they play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be. It is so far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. At this point, Derek and Maria Broaddus stopped bringing their children to the house and limited their own time in the home solely to when they needed to be present for contractors to further the renovations. The Broadduses stayed with Maria's family in a neighboring town out of fear that their presence would give the Watcher more ammunition to terrify them with. In addition to starting their own investigation with hired detectives and attempted personal sleuthing, the Broadduses took this second letter to the police and demanded an official investigation be opened into the disturbing notes. However, the police were unable to glean any concrete evidence from the letters as they had been free of any fingerprints or discernible DNA information that could be used to identify a suspect. While there were a few prime suspects, including a man named Michael Langford, whose family had lived nearby the house for generations and was known to be an eccentric character in the neighborhood, no real evidence could lead the police or the Broadduses to make an arrest or lay legitimate claim to their suspicions. The Watcher may as well have been a ghost for the way he terrified the Broaddus family and seemed to slink in the shadows, 
making notes about their lives without leaving a trace behind. Derek Broadus gave an interview to a local news station about The Watcher, stating, quote, Imagine telling your five-year-old child that the boogeyman is real and he is obsessed with you. Concluding the second note, the Watcher would further plant the seeds of paranoia and fear within the family home. Will the children sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in each bedroom. Then, I can plan better. Have they found what is lurking in the walls yet? In time, they will. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. After this letter, the Broadus has decided to not move into the home. At this point, things seemed to die down, and the community of Westfield began to bury the story as an urban legend to scare children who walked by on dark summer nights. However, the specter of paranoia still loomed over the Broadus family, as everyone they encountered could have been considered a suspect. And as Derek and Maria put the house up for sale, the Watcher reared their head again with a third letter, goading the family to return for more sinister fun. Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard misses you. With this, the Broadduses had finally had enough, but could not find a buyer for the home citing the fear, paranoia, and the growing urban myth of the Watcher as the reason for their inability to secure a buyer. However, in 2017, a family with grown children came forward to rent the home. No more than two weeks after the lease was signed, the tenants reported a strange letter in the mailbox, urging the Broadduses to return and investigate. This fourth letter was perhaps the most ominous and threatening with the handwritten scrawl more erratic than previous entries, and the contents more disturbing. You wonder who the Watcher is? Turn around. My wrath is coming. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet loved ones that suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones will break. Despite the most threatening letter of all, the renters decided to stay and the Broadus family continued to live in the shadow of their fear until 2019 when they were finally able to sell the property at 657 Boulevard. To this day, the mystery of the Watcher has never been solved, but numerous theories exist as to the identity of the letter's writers. From harmless teenage pranks gone too far, ghosts haunting the halls of the six-bedroom home, vengeful neighbors upset at the renovations to the historic house, and even fingers pointed at the Broadus family themselves, authorities have yet to identify the Watcher or their motives. After the Broadduses sold their dream home and moved away from their nightmare, the new owners forwarded a final letter that had appeared in the mailbox on the day they moved in. Inside was a familiar handwritten scrawl. You are despised by the house. The Watcher has won. We are out of time for this episode, but remember to watch the Boulay Brothers Dragula Tuesdays on Shudder. 
and save the date because the grand finale is coming on December 21st, only on Shudder. Until then, darlings. The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulay Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.